Welcome to Chatterbox Hub Podcast. We aim to be your go-to resource for insights, advice, and engagement with all things audio, and not only. I'm your host, Yulia Stancheva. And now, on to my guest, Stefan Kornikart, a multilingual and multi-award-winning voice actor. They call him Leo Maestro. Not just because he is an extremely talented actor, but also an incredibly skillful teacher, casting and games director. As a casting director, he teaches game developers how to create good audition sites and actors how to ace the audition. And in this podcast, Stefan and I talk about the many pitfalls and best practices in video game localization, castings and recordings. We cover a lot in our chat, from the benefits of contacting a localization studio right from the start of your project and having a dedicated games consultant, to how to stand out in the video game casting and not end up on the blacklist of casting directors. He is a fascinating and inspiring person with tons of insight into the exciting world of video games. So let's not waste any more time and welcome my guest. Hello, Stefan. Hello, hello, hello. Such a pleasure to have you in our virtual studio. The pleasure is all mine. Since video games are such a big thing at the moment, I just want to start our conversation first with yeah. video games, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. When a game is localized into a multitude of different target languages, a straightforward, simple translation doesn't cut it anymore. We need to think of culturalization to adapt the game to the culture of the specific region. And you yeah. have been involved in the localization process of games, not just as a voice actor, but also as a translator and voice director. I've seen you in action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been doing this for, I think, the best part of 30 years now. Um, wow. I, I started at uh, SDL and I was studio director. Um, and I think the first job that we did in localization was uh, Final Fantasy, the first one. Wow. So you can imagine, I think we're now at Final Fantasy 15 or 16 <laughs> in terms of game numbers. So yeah, I've been doing this for, for uh, a long time. I, I, man I, I localized Crash Bandicoot into, into French, uh, Spyro the, da the Dragon, Uh, well, not just French, because when I was directing, I was directing in five languages. So I was, I was able to do a, a lot of it. Yeah, it's a, the, the, the localization issue is, is really is a, um, a minefield because you, have, you really have to take into account the destination language, the destination culture. And my, my main thing when I go into a studio and I've got to localize is we try to make it better than the original language. Because after all, they've done all the work. All we need to do is to sort of raise it even more. Um, hmm. So our, our main aim is to make it better. That's a great aim. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it, makes, it makes sense at the end of the day. You know, all the, all, once again, all the work has been done. But what we can do is bring that special flair for the culture um, bring, make the jokes more funny. Because when, when jokes are localized, uh, it's... They need often, to make sense. Yes, exactly. And, and, some, and sometimes they fall flat because they, they're not culture-specific. Yeah. So it's one of the things is to make it very much culture-specific and, and to take the game from where it is in the source language, but take it further in the destination language. That's always my aim. Whether I succeed or not is another matter. But, uh, but that's the aim. 
what are the biggest mistakes game devs make and they should avoid avoid if they want to have a smooth localization process? Well, ideally, you want to think about localization right from the start and have a consultant uh, there who can av- help you avoid the pitfalls. Like, for example, file naming. It's something as simple as that. If if the game evolves in the source language uh, in a very organic matter, your file naming is going to be fairly erratic. It's not going to be structured right from the start. Um, and when it comes to localization, well, first of all, you need the translations to be able to answer each other if we're talking about a dialogue, for example. If you're talking about banter between two characters, these need to actually work as pieces of dialogue. But of course, if the localization uh, agency or company only has individual files without knowing what they answer to or what they question for, then when they are put together finally in the game, there's going to be a disconnect. They're not going to work as well. Unfortunately, the other thing that that means is that, for example, when the actor comes in to record, he's actually talking to himself only. Uh, because he cannot hear what he is answering to. So it's the job in those cases. Mind you, that is changing. That is changing. Some Mm. companies are now creating systems where as soon as a character is recorded, it is then put it as part of a spreadsheet where the casting director or the the session director, sorry, can actually... They can see. Well, they can not not only see, they can play the file and the actor responds to that. Brilliant. But the very, very few studios um, are actually doing that. Um, it's, it's only the sort of top-notch developers and localization um, studios. It would be great if this becomes practice everywhere because this will ensure that the actors are uh, responding organically and more in a more believable way to taking part in the conversation. Absolutely. And also that they sort of fit the same volume. Yeah. For example, the same distance of speech. um, That the, if if there's any issue with the translation, that it is actually uh, picked up as well um, in the studio. And that makes the, the, the work of the director so much easier. Yeah. Because actors can be trusted to respond if they're proper actors. Yeah, absolutely. They will respond. They will sort of act. And they can use like techniques like Meisner in order to be able to really answer the, the person they're talking to. Whereas if they're talking on their own, then it really is a question of guesswork. And guesswork is never good when you're talking localization. Uh, And even if you've got a director who tells you, oh, this line has been recorded like this, it's still not 100% sure that because he can't check on on the day. Also, pronunciations, even though one of the main things when you uh, start localizing, um, mainly when you start voicing, is to create what we call the the Bible, the pronunciation Bible, which allows everyone to sort of pronounce names and place names and so on exactly the same way. And this is so important, yeah. Exactly. If you don't answer to someone and you hear their pronunciation, then there might also be a disconnect. Or you might repeat the same name. Like, for example, the sentence, have you been to 
have you been to Paris? And the answer normally would not repeat the word Paris. It would say, yes, I've been there. But if the localization is separate and each file has been translated separately and arrived separately, it might be that the answer, yes, I've been to Paris. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Which would not be natural because in that case, you, re you repeat the, the name, the noun, the place name, but in a conversation, you wouldn't. Yeah. So there are so many, many pitfalls. And that's why it's uh, more and more I get asked to work as a consultant by developers and to sort of point out the potential pitfalls. But the main pitfall is file naming and file organization. And this is a massive job. Oh, it's it's absolutely massive. It's absolutely massive. But as as long as you start naming right from the start... I mean, having a system for naming, which takes into account the localization process, then it makes it so much yeah. easier down the line. And you save so much money. Yeah. Like, for example, using uh, Bandritmo, uh, the Bandritmo system, for example, to do the cinematics on a, let's say, 10-minute cinematic can save you, which would, go, like, let's say we've got five actors on them, um, it could actually save you in the region of about a thousand pounds if you actually use the bond ritmo. So it could cost you a little bit more at this at the planning stage, but far less in the studio because it's much easier to use a bond ritmo for dubbing characters than to rely on the uh, loop system, which is it's it's difficult, it's it's ropey, it it makes things very repetitive, and the actor. But because he loops and repeats the same sentence several times until he gets the mouth movements right, then you lose that sort of uh, connection to the script. So the end client has to have this uh, strategic planning when they start working on a project. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, um, contacting a, a localization studio right from the start and not just a localization agency, Because a localization agency is often only concerned with the written world, word and not so concerned about the recording. They don't really know the recording system. So the idea is to go both to a localization agency, but also to a localization studio. And to work together with both. And have a consultant like me mm -hmm. who can go, nope. You don't want to do that. Yeah, to tie the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> to tie the ropes, exactly. <laughs> What are the trickiest castings you have worked with uh, when recording and or localizing video games? Because this is also a very important part of the video game's localization when it comes to choosing the right actors. I think probably Need for Speed was the most difficult casting that I ever had to do. There was so many cinematics. Uh, we were localizing it in, in France and... I insisted that I wanted all the actors who were appearing together in uh, the cinematics to be able to have a read-through, So, um, which is something that is so common in any other medium. Yeah. Like films, you have a read-through. Theater, you have a read-through. Um, audio drama, you have a read-through, where the actors can feel part of the company. Gaming is the only genre and the only medium where... The actors do not see each other. They do not play against each other. Yeah. And it's not that much more expensive to create a read-through, but it creates a feel of community and of... Engagement. And exactly. And it, it, it makes such a difference. So eventually I got my own way <laughs> and we managed to do a read-through with all the actors. And that was just amazing. And they all came to see me at the end and say, oh my God. 
<laughs> I've never done this. I've worked on hundreds of video games. Never have I been able to actually go through a scene and have a sense of what the scene was all about. Oh, yeah. Uh, because I say one line here, one line there, one line here, hmm. and it's disconnected. Yeah. But uh, the gaming industry is learning. It's learning uh, belatedly, if I may say so, because at the moment, the gaming industry is worth more than the film and the music yes. industry put together. Yeah. And yet, <laughs> it's spending far less in terms of money hmm. on what makes the game good, which is the believable characters. After all, most games are story-led. If the story, if the suspension of disbelief falls flat, then your game will fall flat as well. So it makes an absolute sense to actually maximize your chips yeah. <laughs> in that, you know, in that, in that gamble. So yes, that was probably the, one of the most difficult castings I ever had to do. Which you approached uh, with innovation. Well, also, also one of the things one has to bear in mind is that in a video game, you really want all the voices to be different. Yeah. And I, that, I, that's one of the things I teach. I teach actors how to ace the audition side. And that was going to be my next question. Oh, really? Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's so important to know how to nail the video game audition and get casted because ultimately this is what we all want. Yes. And, and, and also, one, I mean, I, so I teach two things. I teach developers how to create good sides because I get sides um, as a casting director, uh, not just for localization, but for also sort of working from, you know, in English where the dev, where... Nothing has been done so far. We're writing the uh, the story. We're writing the script. We're writing the um, the tree. I get a, a, a casting side, which is all about. So let's say I'm I'm casting a potato farmer in in Russia, mm -hmm. and the storyline is all about intergalactic wars happening on several worlds. That has no relevance to the character of the potato farmer that I'm actually casting. <laughs> and so sometimes they, they send me sort of massive, like three-page-long description of the game, when in fact, for the casting purposes, first of all, you want to keep it to one page or two pages at most, because otherwise it's too much information for the actor. Yeah. But what should be on the casting is what relates to the character yes. and only to the character, not give me the whole shebang. Background now. story. Exactly, because that is completely irrelevant. The second thing is also to be very clear that when a casting director, so often it's casting directors who write the sides um, when they're attached to the company, but when it's developers, it's the writers. And yeah. often they don't bear in mind what it is that the casting director will be listening for. And the casting director wants to listen and to hear an array of emotions, an array of uh, loudness, of projection, an array of intent. He doesn't want every line to be pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. What he wants is to see in one set of, of, of sides what the actor is capable of. Yeah. So if, for example, what you should have is hyper-projected, you should have fear, you should have tears, 
I mean, provided, of course, that they are part of your character's journey in the game. But you should have really all the extremes that the character is going to experience. But, you know, also it's very tricky when you uh, get a casting brief for a role that has only two lines. So how would you yes. approach that? One of my uh, main takeaway when I when I teach actors on, on how to work sides is to put yourself in the shoes of the casting director. And if you haven't got the material, then you create the material. Ah. So as long as, for example, you do the first two, let's say you've got two lines and the two lines are um, one angry projected line, the other one is a soft, um, very close-up uh, emotional yeah. line. I will record those two. And provided the casting director has listened to both, then after that, it's my own play. I can make it longer mm. if I want to. So what I would do is write stuff. I would write uh -huh. a script or I would write lines that will target the various emotions that I think my character from the character description will go through and make sure I hit them. So, for example, in this one, I would make, I would put a sarcastic line mm. afterwards and then I would put a despair line and then I would put a panicked line. I would make sure that I put um, um, emotes, like, for example, the laughter or um, grunts or things like that. And usually I advise, because that's one thing I do myself all the time, and, and I book quite a lot myself as a, as a voice actor, is I would make sure that I am memorable for the right reasons. And being memorable for the right reasons is one of the main takeaways that you can have. Because for the for a main character, let's say, for example, um, I was cast in uh, Maximilian in Overwatch. And in Overwatch, um, I think as, as far as I know, they had a, a, over 30 or 40 submissions for wow. the character. The casting took a year. Wow. And I think that what made me stand out was the fact that I gave them more than what was on the casting sheet. Mm -hmm. I had a song at the end, in character, obviously. And then I had some, I had a, a sort of um, stream of consciousness um, kind of little speech um, where the character is talking about his core values and his core ideologies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that basically means that not only have you sort of done the job, yeah. you know, you've read the lines, you've, but you've also thought. Yeah, you've gone the extra mile. Exactly. And you've given birth <laughs> to that character, to a character. And one of the things to remember is that the character's um, characteristics are defined during the audition process. It is very rare that you audition for a character with a particular choice and then you go into a studio and they want something completely different. It's very rare. They do the casting on how close you are yeah. to what they want. And so the creation of the character is really done during the audition process. So be flexible, do more, give more and stand out. <laughs> Absolutely. Stand out. Be memorable for the right reasons and make sure you prick their ears. Make sure you sort of, you're noticed. Yeah. Because you are fighting or you're, you're competing against people who are probably as good, if not better than you are. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. them. And a casting director gets bored. So make choices and sh make sure to show. Um, so this is talking to actors as opposed yeah. to 
developers. Make sure you show the array of emotions that the casting director and the developer may be looking for. So if you've got five lines, make sure that all five lines are really different in terms of the choices you made. Action verbs, the actioning system, which most actors will know, um, is a great help for that kind of thing because it allows you to make specific choices. But if you listen back to your audition and it sounds samey, hmm. you can be sure that you'll end up in the never-never box. And every casting director has a never-never box. And this is where we put actors who fall short of expectations, who don't understand. Or The, the other thing is, out of all the castings that I do, I would say that about 50% do not read how to name the files, what format I want the files in. Yes, this is so important. It is. To follow instructions. <laughs> exactly, because if you can't follow instructions, then... How are you going to follow directions? Yeah. And already, it's a it's a way for me to actually go out of the 50 people that I was sent. Oh, well, you've named the file wrong. Okay, nope, never mind, sorry. And that way, I've only got 25 now to listen to. It's a minor technical thing, but it's so important. Exactly. And I know that from, from 25 castings, I will get the right casting. I don't need 200. The first thing I'm going to do is sift through the ones who didn't do the job or didn't name the files or forgot something or didn't ident when it was said you should ident or idented when it said you shouldn't. And then those go into the never, never box. And then I end up with, let's say, 25, which is what I need to do a casting. Mm -hmm. I don't need more. I don't need more. You do the casting on many stages until you finally get closer. Exactly. And it, and and the first one is to actually make sure that people have... They've done their homework. Exactly. They've read the brief. And and one of the main... Uh, so I in my classes, I always tell, I always teach actors to actually write aside. And that by writing aside and putting yourself in the shoes of the casting director, it really makes you understand what it is casting directors are looking for and therefore what to look for when you get aside. And if, for example, it says ironic and you go angry, then you're yeah. out of the park. Big mistake. Exactly. So make sure you've got a pen and paper and you actually don't just read, but you write down. Because then it forces the information to go through the hippoc hippocampus, which is at the back of your brain, and which is where our memory lies. And if you do that, then you're far less likely to miss something important, as, of, uh, as opposed to just reading it. Yeah. So it's not a question of just reading the side, but it's a question of jotting down all the most important thing, whatever characterization they want, yeah. projections, etc., etc. And they stick in your mind. Yes, exactly. And that, and that way they stick in your mind. And you've got it next to you when you're recording. So you can go, oh, oh, oh no, this one said angry. It didn't say sad. Mm -hmm. And then you can use the layering system in order to make each line more give each line more depth. Because if, for example, you've got, let's say, a, a sentence with 10 words, there's not much you can do with that. But sometimes you get castings where you get, you know, 30, 40 words in, in, in one chunk. And then it's important to find out what the journey of the character is through that script. Where is point A when he starts? Where is point Z when he starts? And on each sentence to put an action verb so that you take the listener to a journey. 
But if you do the whole thing exactly the same way, the whole sent, the whole sort of 25 words with the same tone all the way, hmm. yeah, then you can be sure that the, direct, the casting director is yawning because that's not what he wants to hear. Well, definitely to be a good uh, actor for video games, you need to have um, amazing acting skills and you need to polish those skills regularly. Yeah. And doing more often training is a great way to do that. I know that you teach actors yeah, and you teach drama at the Actor Center. You do also workshops and webinars in lip sync and yeah. band ritmo. I have attended one of them and I know how amazing yeah. you are and I look forward to, <laughs> oh, thank to, you. to training more with you. Where can people find more about your workshops and start training with you? Just get in touch with me. My email is uh, open. It's Stefan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-E underscore Cornicard, C-O-R-N-I-C-A-R-D, at hotmail.com. And uh, yeah, I teach several things. In fact, I, um, I, I've, I've been lucky to be a, a recurrent teacher at uh, VO Atlanta. I went once, uh, for the first year I went as an attendee, and then the following year I had two classes, and at the last one, I think I had seven classes altogether, which was brilliant. So I teach um, acting skills. Uh, not just for video games, because I think that's one of the mistakes that people make, mostly on their demos, is that they think that their demos have to be video game demos. In fact, they don't. They have to be acting demos. Characters. Characters. Yeah. Not and and it's important not to sort of sort of limit yourself to thinking, oh, what goes into a video game? Because at the end of the day, what you will end up with is exactly the same demo as about 250 people, if not more. Yeah. I.e., you will have an artificial intelligence, you will have the um the hero, you will have when in fact casting directors want to hear your guts. They want to hear feelings. They want to hear your acting ability. Not stereotypes. No stereotypes. Exactly. And also they want to hear your ability to define genre in your acting. Because one of the main things about video games is that the genre is defined as opposed to TV, where the genre is, for example, fantasy or kitchen sink drama or uh, soap or hyperrealism or fantasy. Genre in video games is really determined by how the player interacts within the game. So understanding that is already stands you in a good... You don't have to be a gamer, but you have to understand how games work. And the second thing, you want to hit all the various genres because video games can cover anything from the horror to hyperrealism, to the epic, to the fantasy world. A lot of it is fantasy, but not just fantasy. So what you want to show, really, is your acting ability and your ability to cry, to be angry, to show a journey. And the last thing I would say is be careful that when acting... If it says sad, what the audience doesn't want to see or hear, they don't want to hear the sadness. Mm -hmm. What they want is you hear the character fighting the sadness. Wow. Because that's what makes us human. It's not like, for example, if I go like this and I cry like this, that's boring. 
if I try to hold it back, and if it's there, right at the limit, but I'm not letting it go because I, I can't let go. Because you want to control it. Exactly. What I'm, sh what, I'm, what I'm doing there is fighting the feeling. And that's what people want to hear. That's good acting. As opposed to being just, you know, there and crying. Because that's not acting. That's just... You're going over the top. It's, yeah, it's, it's intellectual masturbation. <laughs> that's what it is. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> what specific training does one need to take in order to become hireable for video games? Acting, learn how to act. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing else to it, really. There's nothing else to it. The ability of stepping out of our one, one's own skin and, and, and to become somebody else. It, I, it always amazes me that a lot of actors go into acting for, in my opinion, the wrong reasons. Um, they go into it because they want to be looked at or they go into it because they want to be listened to. In fact... I think that the main thing about becoming an actor is the desire to be somebody else. And that usually comes from a place of pain. Hmm. It's, not, it's not a place of, of joy. It's a place of pain. But you make your peace with that dichotomy, with that sort of break within you. The, the other thing is actors deal with feelings. If, as a human being, you don't know who you are or you are unable to deal with your own feelings and to accept them, then you are unlikely to be a good actor. The actor is the one who's got constantly a second person on his shoulder, mm -hmm. even in the, in the height of pain or sadness. And there'll be a little him, on the, a mini-me on my shoulder going, oh, so that's how it works. And that's how it feels like. You have a co constant companion of another voice, exactly. another person. Yeah, yeah. And feelings are your tools. So you should not be afraid of them. You should be, on the contrary, I was trained with um, the Grotowskian method, which is a, a sort of uh, physical method of accepting feelings. And I think that it's, a, uh, it's worth reading out on too, because they say also that actors should not be stars. They should be saints um, in, in the sense that if you look for fame or if you look for reward or if you look for compliment, then you're in the wrong job, really. What an actor is all about is delving into emotions that are uncomfortable um, for most people. Nobody wants to feel sad. An actor does. An actor will actually seek that feeling in order to explore it. Uh, he will seek rage. He will seek these moments in order to become better at, at, at what he does. So, for example, one of the first exercises I do in my classes is called the he, she, me. Yeah. And uh, it's a technique that I've, well, so I've, I've devised the whole sort of acting technique because I found that the systems of acting that were on the market were not really suitable for acting when you're in a booth on your own Uh, like you can't use Meisner, it's very difficult to use Stanislavski when you haven't got the experience necessarily. So I created a sort of pick and mix experience. And the first exercise of that is how to step out of yourself. And it's an exercise you do uh, in safety where you talk to an audience. Yeah. Uh, so the rest of the class, you're not allowed to stop talking mm -hmm. and you have to talk about yourself in the third person. And, and it is the first step towards stepping out of yourself and realizing that you 
can also be a character. But it's, it, uh, usually it becomes quite painful because the, the more you're told not to talk about something or the more you're told that you can't stop talking, the more you will tend to go towards the things that are most painful. Yeah. And, and it often ends in, in tears. But tears are okay. It's a safe place. And, and if you can accept those tears and accept who you are, then in you... That is the first step to becoming an actor. It's like you are peeling off the layers of onion. Yeah, exactly. And you're revealing more and more of your inner being. Absolutely. And, and you're taking off the carapace, the, the sort of protective gear that all of us wear all the time in order not to feel. We love feeling joy. We love feeling happiness. We love feeling, you know, that we're valued. But that's only one part of being an actor. Being an actor is also peeling off the the suffering. The, because if, if, for example, you've got to do like a main villain, a, the villain did, didn't, wasn't born a villain. Something made him a villain. I work a lot with, uh, with uh, the construct theory, which is a theory developed by George Kelly in the 1950s, who was a psychologist. And, and basically it, it says that you create constantly every day your own map of the world. And all the experiences mean that you will erase a bit of your map and you will recreate it so that every day your vision of the world and your core values are shifting slightly. And understanding that, understanding that nobody is set in stone, that our core values change Um, and, and what makes our core values evolve. Like, for example, if someone is lied to all the time throughout his childhood well this person is very likely to have a, a, an issue with trust yes but eventually if you know after 10 years of being told the truth then perhaps he will start to uh, trust humanity again so it's it's a question of understanding how you get to the character the more you tap into your authentic inner self, the more believable and authentic actor you will be. Yes. And, and authentic doesn't mean necessarily... I mean, authentic can work in different genres. If, for example, you play a cartoon character who suddenly sees his schemes to become the, the sort of master of the universe fall apart and he goes, no, 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 I want the world. My pain is a true pain. It's there. It's it's I'm I'm it's honest. It's uh, what changes is the delivery of that pain. So understanding that being honest doesn't mean being necessarily realistic. Mm -hmm. You can be cartoony and be true. You can be epic and be true. Those two things are are different. As long as the feeling that you're portraying comes from a, a place of truth, what size and what aspect it's going to have when it comes out is is not relevant to that truth it's just another way of coming out you know that that same sadness and that same anger could be completely realistic or it could go epic but the core of that feeling is true yeah and that's what i mean by being true yeah it's not how big you are or how you know what genre you do it in it's That feeling comes from a place of truth. Fantastic. Wow. Thank you so much. That was You're very welcome. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> I, I love talking about that craft. <laughs> I can tell you're a very passionate actor and that's why you are amazing.
Well, thank you. But it's it's why also I, I, I like to do all three. I like to act and I, I'm a prolific actor. I, I, I do a lot of work. But I also like to direct because I love actors and I love to take them on a journey. But I also love to teach because when you see somebody coming to you and and you see them evolve over the period of time in my coaching or my classes or my master classes, um, it it makes it makes me happy and i i it's three aspects of my career that i would not let go of and actors can see that and this is why they love you and they come back to you for more and more training opportunities with you it seems to be it seems to be i also run a just a, on a quick note i also run a facebook group called uh, voiceover training so it's voice hyphen over training because I realized that on Facebook, there were a lot of groups yeah. for actors and voice actors, but very few that actually allowed coaches and um, teachings and things like that to actually post. So this is one place where if you're keen, and I, I advise every actor never to stop training. I still train. I still train all the time. I, I In fact, I vet most of the people who post on, on my fav- Facebook group. Um, so voiceover training um, is a place where you will find a lot of information, sometimes free advice, sometimes little take. It's a brilliant group. I'm part of it and I love it. It's also a very friendly group, yes. um, I think. And people are willing to help each other. Yes, absolutely. But I, it's one thing I found very much about the voiceover industry. It's a generous bunch of people. And I think perhaps it's because they're not necessarily in camera. And I find that actors who are not in camera, i.e. voice actors, are yeah. often less up their own arses, if you excuse <laughs> my French, than visual actors. Because it, it requires a, a form of um, humility to be not seen, to be just a voice. Yeah. And I think that what it really does is that it means that you're a good person. I, 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 I truly believe that. And I've rarely met a voice actor who was not a generous person. And I cannot say the same thing about visual actors. Um, and it's a very different because if you insist on being visually seen, on being there, then perhaps you do acting for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a well, an interesting thought, perhaps for a later discussion. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure well, I'm going to get loads of hate <laughs> mail from actors who go, "How dare you!" <laughs> and you have worked, you know, with big screen names. You have played in Saving Private Ryan by Steven Spielberg, alongside Tom Hanks and Matt Damon. Yeah, and and I found that usually the people who were like, for example, Steven Spielberg, I was lucky enough to basically for nearly two weeks to eat lunch with him and Tom Hanks and and all the all the gang for for two weeks. This must have been a great experience for you. Yes, it was a bit daunting, I must say, because you you don't want to open your mouth to say something stupid when you're sort of sitting next to them. But at the same time, um, they were probably the most down-to-earth people I've ever met. And I find that the higher up you go in talent, the less ego there is. And and that's one of the things I try to emulate. That's the right proportion. <laughs> exactly. And I, I say that that's one of the things I, you know, when casting directors or, or directors in a session say, oh, I'm sorry, can you, can you, I'm sorry to ask you. I said, I have no ego. I really don't. When I'm working, I have no ego because my job is to do what I'm asked to do. So I don't have any problems sort of changing what I do. I will bring in my... Um, 
suggestions. I will bring in my talent and whatever there is. And good uh, nature. Uh, and good nature and all that. But ego, I leave at the door. And I know for a fact that there are some amazing voice actors. I mean, amazing in terms of their talent that I will never work with again. And I will never cast them again because they were a nightmare in the studio. And do you know what casting directors talk about when they meet? Bad actors. Oh, dear. But not bad actors as in bad, not good. Their, their acting skills are good, but their people skills are shit. And that's what we talk about. Such and such gave me such a hard time, you know, or such and such does not follow direction or such and such is so full of himself that he's impossible to work with. These are the people we talk about. And nobody wants to be in the blacklist of uh, casting directors. No, exactly. Exactly. Because if you, if you, excuse my French, but if you fuck up with one casting director, the likelihood is another casting director will hear about it. Because I know that when I talk to other casting directors or other directors, I talk about the people who gave me a hard time. If you fuck up with one person, you actually may have fucked up with about several. They talk to each other. Be nice. Nobody wants a, a, a bastard in the booth. Yes, but be, be likable and nice and kind in a very genuine way. Absolutely. Be in the moment, be available, be listen and offer suggestions. Leave your ego behind the door before you enter the studio. Yeah, exactly. Understand what your role is. Um, and, and you're a little cog in a big machine. Uh, but every cog is important, not just the cherry on the cake. I like that. It's, it's a question of having the humility of being a nice little cog that does its job. If every cog does its job, then the machine works well. It's as simple as that. Well, no wonder you are a winner of One Voice 2020 Inspiration Award. Oh, that, was <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> what does that mean to you? You say that you don't have an ego, but I'm sure that... Oh, I, I, have, I have feelings. I don't have ego. I really don't have an ego. But it must feel really special for you to be such an inspiration to so many other actors and voice of artists. Yes, it does. It, it made me cry. I must say, it made me cry. And do you feel like you have uh, completed your mission or there is still more room for more things to be achieved? Oh my God, there's so much more room for stuff to be achieved. Oh, I mean, the day that I, I decide that I've done everything there is to do, I probably won't get up <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll go out feet first. I think I never want to retire for a start. But winning, winning that, well, I, I, I won two. Uh, which was amazing. I won the inspiration one, which, because it's given to you by your peers, means a lot. What a great recognition. Yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. It, it felt like, oh, um, I, I even thinking about it now, hmm. I can feel it in, in my chest. That sort of, the heart sort of grows bigger. That warmed feeling of being loved. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, you know, the heart stretches and grows bigger <laughs> but but i also got the um the best male uh performance in video games fantastic which was also amazing for a character that i absolutely adored uh, which was uh, benevent vitalis in plague tale innocence who is the ultimate baddie the ultimate villain and and and, and i'm so glad because it was a character that i absolutely adored um because he came from a place of pain 
And yeah, this, this only shows that when you love what you do, when you throw yourself into your work with so much passion and dedication, eventually you will reap what you sow. Yeah, I, I think it's a question of, I mean, applying your intelligence to your career, um, but also keep learning and keep trying new things and don't ever think that you know mm -hmm. it. Because I, I, like, I learn every day. I learn every day. And I, every day that I work with a new director, I learn something new, which, which is I learn that director, how he or she yeah. communicates, how he or she likes to work. This is what keeps me alive, honestly, being able to learn every single yeah. day and never being complacent with what I already know or what I have already achieved. And, that, and that's why voice actors never retire <laughs> we don't because we don't want to it's not like we do a nine to five job which we hate in fact the more we work the happier we are yeah and as long as you look after your the, the main instrument your your yeah, voice, the voice then yes. you can continue to do what you love yeah yeah absolutely and the human voice is more unique than a fingerprint and we as voice actors are all different and uh Knowing who you are and embracing it is so important, especially when it comes to marketing yourself. And you, Stefan, are the guru of social media marketing. Am I? Yeah, you do a great job putting yourself out there. Do I? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I took a class. Obviously, I'm from a generation before computers. And so social media for me, I mean, I, I, I love it now, but I'm still old school in the sense that I, I work mainly on Facebook. But I did take a class on uh what it is you're, you should be doing. One, one of the main pet hates that I've got is those people who post when they've really got nothing to say, but when they plan their, all their questions on Instagram, and it's like, mm. it's random questions. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite thing in the morning? <laughs> And and basically, you can tell that... It's just basically making a lot of noise. Exactly. And once a month, they basically sat down and think, oh, God, what can I ask? But they don't care about the answers. And that, I, 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 that really pisses me off. And with social media, it's all about uh, creating that special connection. You yeah. need to engage with people. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to connect with them. Absolutely. So now my question is, my, my answer, my generic answer, when people ask questions, which I know are randomly generated and, and, and part of a, a, a sort of a programming system, I go, good God, you're very nosy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you've been honest. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because I'm thinking, if I can take, if I can take the time, you know, every other day or every or once a week or whatever, of actually posting what I think is relevant to the people who are interested in what I do. Yeah. Where do you get your inspiration from? My inspiration is, I don't. To be honest, I don't know. I, I, I can't really say that I've got role models or, or people that I absolutely look up to. And I just try to be the, the best I can be for as long as I can be it. And I try not to let little insignificant things get me down. But inspiration, my garden, <laughs> uh, watching people, people watching is a good, is a good, is a good skill to have. And, and, and just joy of life, I think is what sort of drives me. I just love what I do. I'm, I'm, we are so lucky. 
We do a job that we love. Yeah. We've managed to turn a passion into a money-making exercise. So we don't have to differentiate between what we do for work and what we do for pleasure. And that, I think, is the greatest achievement what can ever have. Because it means that every morning you wake up. And I, I, one, one thing is, I, if I wake up in the morning and, and I don't have a job that day, which is rare now, um, usually I, I sort of average about three, four, five jobs a day. Fantastic. If I wake up and I don't have a job, then I feel bereft. And I feel like, oh... And and Adrian, my partner, goes, but you should relax. Just, you know, take a day off. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't want to take a day off. <laughs> but we need to learn how to relax. <laughs> This is so important. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, but I am relaxed. And, and doing my job is not stressful. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, that, does it make sense? You miss it. I, I miss it. Yeah, I miss, I miss being somebody else. Or I miss the, the excitement of it. Or I miss... Um, Yeah. Yeah, your life is so intertwined with the work that you do that basically you have uh, become your work. Uh, yeah, in many ways, in many ways. I mean, I do have other things. I I paint and I I play the piano and I garden and I I'm I learn languages because I found out um, one of the things I love is um being able to communicate. And I hate the idea of a language barrier in any way. So I'm now, um, after Russian, after Chinese, and after, well, Spanish, Italian, and all those, I am now starting hmm. Japanese. And I am loving it. I am absolutely <laughs> loving it. And it keeps, me, it keeps me ticking. You always challenge yourself and never sit in the comfort chair, don't you? Oh, life is too short to sit in a comfort chair. It really is. <laughs> we're we're going to be resting for a very, very, very long time oh. when we're dead. So might as well make the most of what we've got during that sort of little window of opportunity we have, which is life. Um, make the most of it. Yeah. That's the best way and that's such a brilliant way to end this uh, wonderful chat here. Oh, thank you so much. That was, uh, it was a pleasure. Yes, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Stefan. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Keep happy. <laughs> you too, Stefan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, don't forget to rate it and leave a review. And if you want to hear more inspirational guests, do check out the other episodes.